2: Welcome to strange familiars, Allison. Yes. How are you? I'm doing well. Are you sure?
3: You know what? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> What's
2: wrong? Is there a hint of fall in the air?
3: There it is. It's like it's the, the light is going out. Oh, I don't like I love it.
2: it so much. Bring me that cold weather.
3: I've already had about three times the amount of coffee that I normally have to wake up in the morning. And today, all I wanted to do was sit in a chair and eat. So I'll see you in April. <laughs>
2: Tonight, we're going to continue with Fatima, part two of our show with Brother Richard. Wanted to remind everybody about Brother Richard's book, Still Points. He's been making the rounds, doing a few podcasts other than Strange Familiars to talk about his book. I guess we'll let him do that. Yeah, I
3: think I he's think, yeah. probably more than allowed to do that.
2: <laughs> Brother Richard is such a treasure. A wonderful, wonderful guest. His book is available to pre-order in America. I'm not sure the status of... The physical book elsewhere in the world. I know it's it's out in Ireland, presumably the UK. But we
3: always have to wait longer, though. With like,
2: yeah, the the physical book comes here in January. However, you can get the ebook and the audio book now.
3: And he does the audio book. Yes, he does. Oh, that's nice.
2: I have them both loaded up on my device. Your device. <laughs> yes, I'm not advertising for that company. Actually, <laughs> we're getting paid to advertise for that company coming up. So <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but not right now. They haven't yeah. paid us yet.
3: You're referring to Zune. <laughs> They're back.
2: <laughs> Before we get to part two of Fatima, I want to thank our patrons. Thank you, patrons. Thank you for your help. We couldn't do Strange Familiars without you. You might notice that the last Fatima episode was 343, and this one is 346. What happened? How is part two so many episodes later? That's because 344 and 345 were patron shows. They were our patron shows for September. If you like what we do and you want to get extra content, you can go to patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. Check out the different tiers of support there. No matter what tier you choose, you are helping us make the show and you get two full extra shows of Strange Familiars every month, exclusive to our patrons. Again, that's patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. All right, when we left off last week, our seers had started seeing the apparitions of angels and then Mary. Tonight, there'll be more apparitions of Mary, but also visions of hell, monsters, the seers get kidnapped, and then the miracle of the sun. So a lot happens in part two here. Let's get into it. so again small town word is getting out about mm-hmm. this and there continues to be doubts around these visions at one point the parish priest very casually suggests maybe these could be from the devil these apparitions mm-hmm. which uh, scares lucia very badly mm-hmm. and her mother is still accusing her of lying just repeatedly because of this she at first decides not to go in july just into Francesco, they're eager to go. Lucy says, "I'm not going." However, on July 13th, she wakes up feeling differently, and she heads to the cova with her
4: cousins. Mm. Uh, almost as if it was irresistible. Yeah, yeah, and again, another tick. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. People suddenly finding I need to get in the car and drive to a particular point, oh, or yeah. you know, yeah. I need to walk down that street at that time. Yeah, yeah. interesting.
2: And now, they said between four and 5,000 people were gathered yeah. in the Kova. The seers were being guarded by uh, two protective men, basically to keep them from getting crushed by the crowd. Mm-hmm. Many people approached them with petitions for the apparition, help this person, you know, heal this person, et cetera. Et cetera. While they're waiting, Lucia kneels and begins to pray the rosary. And this must have been really an an incredible and emotional scene as as they said thousands of people just started to recite it with her Mm -hmm. so here we have this little this very young girl just saying the rosary and and this whole crowd saying it with her Mm -hmm. as she finished Lucia declares the lady's already coming there and they watch a bright light the seers see a bright light advance from the east to the home oak tree and Lucia asks what do you want of me today? the lady repeats again I want you to return here on the 13th of the coming month and continue to say the beads every day in honor of Our Lady of the Rosary to obtain peace for the world and the end of the war for she alone can secure you she said I would like to ask you to to tell us who you are and would you perform a miracle so that everyone will believe you are appearing to us the lady says continue to come here every month in October I will tell you who I am and what I want And I shall perform a miracle which all shall see in order that they may believe. Lucia Mm -hmm. then asked about healing these many people uh, that had asked her to recommend them to the lady. The lady replies that some will be healed, others need to be patient, and all should continue to say the rosary. Just an aside, would they have known who Our Lady of the Rosary was? Would they have known? Like,
4: yeah, Yes, they would. Yeah. yeah, it's a very old devotion. Okay. Um, so the rosary has been present since, uh, well, since the very beginning. There have been ways of of praying what were called circlets or chaplets, so various different numbers of, of beads mm-hmm. um, and different forms of prayer um, would, would have been prayed on them. The rosary itself and the structure that we have it now comes from the 1200s and was Given in again in an apparition to Saint Dominic, um, the founder of the, the of the Dominican Order, and spread very rapidly around Europe and and then beyond Europe uh, as a particular devotion to Our Lady. So, Rosary, just for people to be aware of it, the, the word Rosary means a crown of roses or a crown of flowers, and so the idea was that by by making the prayers by going around the beads, you were you were sort of weaving a spiritual crown of roses to be placed at the at the feet of our of Our Lady. Ah and um, that she would then offer to christ on your behalf so she stands between it should be very clear that within the catholic and orthodox tradition we do not pray to mary right we venerate mary as someone very special who has a close relationship with god and we seek her intercession in other words that she will pray for us mm. on our behalf
5: yeah
4: in exactly the same way as you go to your grandmother and say look you know will you, will you say a prayer for me right so that's that's really important. So, when we speak of the titles of Our Lady, you know, there are many, and, and one, of the, one of them is simply Our Lady of the Rosary. And so, even though the apparition is, is beginning to reveal, you know, who she is, mm-hmm. even though Jacinta already has that inspiration of saying, you know, we saw Our Lady. Right. I think what, what's important for, in, in this particular apparition, is to see that even though she mentions the title, one of her titles, Our Lady of the Rosary, Lucia still says, but we still want to know who you are, you know? And, and I think... There's something very beautiful in, in the child, the child saying, you know, um, please work a miracle, mm. you know, I, I, <laughs> just so they'll they'll believe us, right. you know. Yeah. Um, remember, this is the girl who's going home to a mother who, who is telling her every single day, "You're lying, and you're going to be caught out, and you're going to bring shame on the family." And there's a lot of lot of oppression going on. At oh home yeah, they were she, yeah. She was being dragged to the priest, you know, yeah. on yeah, a regular yeah, basis, like yeah. and all of that. Yeah, yeah. Cool. There we go.
2: The lady then says, sacrifice yourselves for sinners and repent often, especially when you make a sacrifice for them. But she instructs them to pray. "O Jesus, it is for the love of you, for the conversion of sinners, and in reparation for the sins committed against the Immaculate Heart of Mary. She then raises her hands in what is known as the Dominus Vobiscum gesture.
4: Mm, Okay. So this is the gesture that the priest uses at different times during the Mass when i suppose that, that the hands are sort of opened from from the prayer position everybody knows the prayer position that you know, the hands together mm-hmm. the hands are opened wide towards the people um, with the palms out and the priest would say dominus phobiscum which means the lord be with you um to which the people would reply "Et cum spiritum to him uh which is and, and with your spirit the, this is a very old gesture it goes back to the jewish times actually and was known as as the orans or the the at prayer uh, and this is the Mary revealing herself as the lady of intercession. Some of the oldest iconography of Mary is her standing in the Oran's position, which is the position of of prayer. She's praying on behalf of the people to her son. And so this is the significance of this particular gesture being used.
2: At this, the crowd hears Lucia cry out in horror and they see the expression on the seer's faces turn from like very serene and pleasant to absolute terror, followed quickly by sadness The beams from the lady's hands to the seer seem to penetrate the earth and they're being shown a vision of hell. Mm -hmm. And again, this is a quote from uh, Father Joseph Pelletier's The Sun Dance at Fatima. They observe an immense sea of fire which appears to be under the earth. Immersed in the fire are the devils or fallen angels and the souls of damned human beings. The two categories of individuals are easily distinguishable. The souls have human form while the demons appear in the terrifying and loathsome forms of horrible, unknown animals. Note that horrible, unknown animal Mm -hmm. for later. (laughs) Mm -hmm. This vision lasts only moments, and Lucia said that she thought if it had lasted any longer, they might have died of fright. It was that Mm -hmm. impactful. The lady then says, you've seen hell where the souls of poor sinners go to save them. God wants to establish in the world the devotion to my Immaculate Heart. If people do what I tell you, many souls will be saved, and there will be peace. The war is going to end, but if people do not stop offending God, another and worse one will begin during the reign of Pius Eleventh. When you see a night illuminated by an unknown light, know that this is the great sign that God is given you, that he is going to punish the world for its crimes by means of war, famine, and persecution of the Church and the Holy Father. To prevent this, I shall come and ask for the consecration of Russia to my Immaculate Heart, and four communions of preparation on the first Saturdays. If they heed my request, Russia will be converted, and there will be peace. If not, she will spread her errors throughout the world. Promoting wars and the persecution of the Church, the good will be martyred, the Holy Father will have much to suffer, various nations will be annihilated. In the end, my Immaculate Heart will triumph, the Holy Father will consecrate Russia to me, and she will be converted, and a certain period of peace will be granted to the world. In Portugal, the dogma of faith will always be preserved she then says don't tell this to anyone so here we have uh, mm-hmm. the first secret yes this is mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but of course you can tell it to Francisco who was there mm-hmm. but could not hear so the apparition knew that, that
4: he couldn't hear yeah um, yeah what's, what's maybe we just pause there for sure, a second because sure. there's a huge amount has just happened yes, yes and we have both the first and the second secret here so the first secret is the vision of hell itself oh okay second right. secret is the commentary about what's a, what's going to happen in the future okay And Lucia, unknowing, receives actually the beginning of her mission, which is when the apparition says, you know, I will come and I will ask for. And this will happen for Lucia uh, later in her adult life uh, when she she becomes a a Carmelite nun herself. The apparitions happen later where Mary comes and gives the the, the formula for the the five Saturdays to be offered in, in devotion and reparation. I just want to say a little bit about the vision of hell for a moment because one of the things that often happens is people say well you know why would uh, a loving god or a loving heavenly mother you know suddenly terrify the children by showing them this particular vision and also then there's a, there's a lot around well you know are we talking about a physical hell with fire and you know pitchforks and monsters and all of those kind of things it's important to recognize that again as with all apparitions this element of co-creation takes place. Uh, And so the children are shown a vision of hell that they can understand. When we speak of of hell theologically today, we speak of it as a state of being whereby someone has definitively chosen to be outside the embrace of divine love. Mm -hmm. And the best, traditionally, the best image of that that was given was the image of You know, that the light of God, which is the light of love, now becomes fire to the person who removes themselves or willingly removes themselves from this experience. And that it's it's an experience of of despair, naturally, because outside God, in the tradition, there is no hope. So it's important, and I think many theologians have said it, and and even later in life, it was commented upon by um, one of the great commentators on the Fatima message, who was, was Pope Benedict, Spoke of it as, as recognizing that the reality of the apparition is the message. The image that, that's shown by the, by the apparition may very well have been images that the children themselves had, had sort of picked up from kind of pious iconography. Ah, yeah. Um, and so the important thing is, is the message that it is possible to despair and to go to a place of pain and darkness if you do not live according to the ways of light. The second thing, then, is this apocalyptic experience. So apocalypse, we tend to think of as the end of the world. But actually, apocalypse is just a Greek word, which means the pulling back of a curtain to allow light into a dark room. That's what apocalypse means. And so Mary, in sort of giving this apocalyptic understanding of, you know, there is a war, it's going to come to a close. If people don't repent, there will be another worse war. Uh, okay, these are historical events, and it's it's possible for us to say yeah absolutely it's extraordinary that you know at this point where people were speaking of the first world war as the war to end all wars, mm-hmm. so quickly would come a second war after that, and yet this is prophesied by these these children according to this vision, so that in itself is a kind of a validation of what the experience is that the children are going through. What's interesting as well, though, is that little comment. When you see a night illuminated by an unknown light, this is the great sign. Lucia herself said that this was uh, an extraordinary aurora borealis that took place, I think, in 1938 over the whole of Europe. And it was commented upon in the newspapers at the time. This is not the miracle of the sun. That's something that happens later uh, in, this, in this year uh, that we're speaking of now. This is, back in, this is further on in 1938, where an aurora borealis in cross form was seen right across Europe, right down to South, uh, southern Europe, where the aurora just isn't normally seen.
5: Uh-huh.
4: Lucia was absolutely convinced that that was the sign and spoke of it at the time and wrote of it at the time. I think she even communicated to the bishops at the time that the sign had now come. That was it. That was what was, was happening. What's interesting from a personal note is my grandfather could remember being brought out by his mother to see it, Oh wow. Um yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it was seen even right over Ireland and he often spoke of being being taken out into the garden and being shown this that everybody in the neighborhood was standing looking at this because they'd never seen the aurora borealis as far as Dublin. We do get it up in in the north of the country but okay. uh, occasionally but not like this. And he said, you know, people were very very nervous of it. People began to pray. They didn't know what was going on. The night was lit up completely by this extraordinary aurora. So um yeah, it's interesting that it was it, 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 even within the, the memory of my own grandfather. This was something that was spoken of at the time.
2: After this, the lady paused. And after a moment, she said, when you recite the beads, say after each mystery. I guess we should explain what the mysteries are.
4: Well, so when, when praying the rosary, one of the ways of doing it is to take an event in the life of Jesus or Mary and to meditate upon that. There are 20 mysteries that are that are normally meditated upon and we speak of them. We divide them into groups of five, the joyful mysteries, the sorrowful mysteries, the glorious mysteries and the luminous mysteries. And again, they are events that we know of in scripture or in tradition. uh, And the the person praying the rosary would think about those events or or, or picture those events or pray through the scripture of those events while, while praying them. So each decade, each 10 Hail Marys is spoken of as one mystery. And we would give the mind, occupy the mind with with that particular scripture at that time.
2: So she's giving them instructions of a new prayer to say Mm. with the rosary, and this is, O my Jesus, forgive us our sins, save us from the fires of hell, lead all souls to heaven, especially those in greatest need of thy mercy. She pauses again for a long time, and then Lucia asks, isn't there anything else you want of me? And she (laughs) says, no, today I want nothing further of you. And she leaves. that would be enough for you. There you are. She leaves in the same manner as she had before. As she departs, people hear a loud noise. The crowd reported hearing again a buzzing or humming sound. They noticed what they said was a decrease in the sun's glow or heat during the event. Mm. And they could see a whitish cloud above the home oak. This left many of these observers believing in the apparitions, that what they saw was enough. A few days later, the seers have taken their flock to pasture. Francesco wanders off alone, and after some time, the girls hear him shouting for them. And they have some difficulty locating him, but eventually they find him amid the boulders. And he's on his knees, trembling with fear. He's unable to stand. They asked him what is wrong and that he said he saw one of the big beasts that they had seen from their vision of hell was there sending off lights. So some accounts say he said they were breathing fire. It was breathing mm. fire, rather. But this is very interesting to me because, uh, you know, mm. as you know, if I'm looking at a group of UFO sightings, I'm going to look for Bigfoot sighting as well. Mm. Right? Mm. So here we have him seeing this this big beast. He said he, he doesn't really describe it any any further. Uh, but yeah. I found that very,
4: very interesting. So there's some kind of in, uh,
2: physical it, thing there. Sure.
4: Yeah. Absolutely. And and in other apparitions, not only were when when the diabolical end of things appeared uh, or the darker end of things appeared, you know, it often appeared in, in what they what they called ape form. Mm. I know for a fact in in um, the apparitions in Medjugorje, a number of people were terrorized by a, a kind of a, a kind of a smoky black ape figure. Oh my um, goodness. I Now, I'm, I'm relying on an increasingly fallible memory, but I think there was, there was some little event like that that took place in, in or around the apparitions of Lourdes. Certainly, Padre Pio, one of the Capuchin saints, when he had a number of experiences with diabolical apparitions that were trying to, to frighten him or, or um, disturb his prayer and move on, spoke of it often appearing as an ape. Specifically, at times, would sort of give out the devil as, as that ape. Wow. Um, yeah there yeah. are parallels in these things, yeah, I need,
2: need awesome. to write an addendum to where the footprints end with this
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, we can we can look at at, at that at some stage. Um, I think it's interesting that there's certainly a book to be written on the crossover between cryptids and saints. There's no doubts about that at
2: mm-hmm. all. let wow. me fire my imagination now. there we go. Next, what happens is this, there's a local politician. And he's the appointed agent of the regional civil government. He's known by this nickname as the Tinsmith.
4: Now, I'm going to just pop in there because mm-hmm. without context, the, the Tinsmiths were, were, were tinkers in Europe, part of the traveling people. And so it's a very derogatory name um, that he was, he was known as. Ah, know, this it, is okay. often passed over very quickly. Okay. But what's also interesting from a strange familiar's point of view is that we now have a smith in the middle of things right oh yeah um, who's if not a smith himself i think is being reminded by the people through the name they've given him of this is the stock you come from hmm. yeah his father
2: um, actually was a smith
4: actually. so so there we go now we, now we have a, a smith one of the in- interpreters of the kind of more magical traditions appearing
2: he gets word of these apparitions and of this secret and he immediately says, well, this is a problem um, mm. He's part of this anti-Catholic government. He decides, well, I'm going to put a stop to this. He decides that the way he's going to stop it is he'll learn the secret from the Sia and then he'll expose it and he'll you know, basically expose it as nonsense and stop all
4: this, I guess, what he considered superstition. It was also that, but it was also they were very nervous of civil assembly mm. at, at this time. and so. I suppose that the, the, the kind of secular government at the time was nervous that this would cause a resurgence of faith or a resurgence of, of power for Catholicism. Uh, and so they were they were worried that this was all being run by priests in the background. Now, what's really interesting is that right up to this point, uh, the priests are refusing point blank to attend anything mm-hmm. um, because they're very worried that um, the gatherings will actually redound on them and you know they will face closures of churches or, or worse persecution than they're currently going through. Even the parish priest, who comes across actually as somebody who, who just is treating it quite reasonably and just wants to see how the events will follow out. You know, he is someone, he's the man who originally said, well, you know, it could also be from the devil as well as from, as well as from God, and inadvertently uh, terrified Lucia. They're keeping a very, very wary distance from this at this point.
2: The tinsmith calls for a meeting with the seers, and Francesco and Jacinta's father says, they're too young, I'll go hmm. in their stead. Lucia's father says she can speak for herself. So the following day is August 13th, 1917, and the streets of their little town are crowded with people coming to see, you know, these promised events. The tinsmith stops first at Jacinta and Francesco's house. He claims that he wants to see the miracle. He offers to take them to the cove in his carriage. And the children happen at this time to
4: return with their sheep And I I love that detail because the most interesting thing about it is that no matter what's going on, the sheep still have to be pastured. Yeah. You know, the children are still working. They're still Um, shepherds. Yeah. This hasn't given them any special status within their family. Everybody has to pull their weight and do what needs to be done. And in fact, one of the things that's interesting is that as the apparition, as the gatherings happen more, you know, they get bigger and bigger in the COVID area the annoyance of Lucia's father over how the pasture is being turned up mm. and destroyed uh, by, by these people coming in and yet he's, he, you know, he he kind of bows to the pressure of the crowd, but you know, underneath it they were poor farmers and a pasture like that meant a lot. Sure.
2: So Tim Smith pressures them to reveal the secret, he tries to make them promise they won't go to the cova. Uh, the children refuse, I don't think there's anything that could keep them away. Yeah. Well, there is, as we shall see, but yeah. <laughs> outside of you know, their power, there are things. But uh, he offers again to take them in the carriage. They refuse. I think the children are kind of a little cued into something. something's up yeah. with this guy. And then he asks that they be brought to the rectory so he can question them in the presence of the pastor. And they, being good Catholics, they can't really refuse that. So that one, yeah, yeah. They go to the rectory where Lucia's questioned. She's accused of lying, but her story does not change She's pressured to tell the secret. She does not. And the Tinsmith succeeds in keeping them there so long that the only way they could get to the cove in time was for him to give him a ride in his carriage. So they reluctantly accept. He then basically kidnaps them. He puts them mm-hmm. in the carriage and goes the opposite direction. Takes them to his house. They're locked in a room. They're told they cannot leave until they reveal the secret. Remember, these are children too. These are yeah, you know. yeah. We're
4: talking about ten to twelve year olds at this stage. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: And though the tinsmith's wife treats them with some kindness and gives them a meal, they're still basically prisoners at this point. And they would not be at the cova on August thirteenth, so they missed this. However, back at the cova, there's a crowd of eighteen thousand people. So this, it's growing substantially every month. And they're waiting for the seers. A man arrives on a bicycle. He announces they've been taken by the administrator. The crowd, understandably, begins to kind of murmur and and stir and get angry. Uh, Suddenly, a a clap of thunder is heard and a flash of light near the home oak. Again, the sun loses its brilliance. They said the atmosphere became hazy. A white cloud formed around the trunk of the oak. It rose into the air and kind of melted away. The clouds in the sky then turned crimson red then rosy colored then yellow then blue and they said the light takes on the the same hues and the people Mm -hmm. appear tinted in these successive colors as quickly as it started it stops and all returns to normal this is something we'll see again
4: Mm. absolutely the atmospheric phenomena really begins from here
2: now the seers have been kept overnight at the tinsmith south and there's an old woman they send in the morning to try to coax the secret out of them. She's unsuccessful. They're then taken to the town hall where the tinsmith starts questioning them again. He's getting harsher and, and meaner each time here. yeah. Uh, he's offering them gold to share the secret. Jacinta replies, again, this is the girl who essentially Lucia described as a brat, you know, a year before. <laughs> she says, you can keep your gold. Even if you gave us all the gold in the world, we wouldn't tell you the secret. This is a child. She's the youngest mm-hmm. among them, telling this guy this. Mm-hmm.
4: And from very poor families. Yeah. So, I mean, you can imagine the pressure to be able to bring something like that home, yeah. Um, you know, and to, it, would, it would have made such a difference to the, to the family and to their way of life.
2: So the threats and bribery fail and the Tim Smith locks the children in jail. They're scared. They're crying. There's other prisoners in the jail. They're all grown men. So these children are put in the jail with these, these other prisoners. And, uh, they're trying to cheer the children up and they convince them to start singing and they're they're singing and dancing for a time and eventually Francesco suggests they should say the rosary and you have another one of these incredible moments it's like, Mm. must have been amazing to see Jacinta removed a holy medal from her neck she asked a prisoner to hang it on a a nail in the wall, they kneel and begin to say the rosary and before long all of these prisoners, among them I'm sure were some pretty hard guys (laughs) are kneeling and praying
4: with them yeah.
2: What a scene that must have been, I mean that's worthy of any movie
4: right sure the grace yeah. the grace of the moment uh, what's also interesting is that when the Tinsmith arrives back and sees what's happened, he becomes absolutely off the wall, angry at that point, incandescent, you know this is not what he what he thought was going to happen at all,
2: yeah, he can't scare them. or, or mm. I mean he's scaring them, but it's not it's not turning them. He threatens to boil them in oil <sighs> <laughs> I mean, wow yeah. And he he separates them. He first takes Jacinta away, and then Francesco. And he tells Lucia that, like, your cousins have been boiled in oil, and you'll be next. You have to reveal the secret, or you're going to be boiled too. And she refuses again, uh, sticks to her guns the whole time. Mm -hmm. Finally, she's taken to a room. She finds Jacinta and Francesco unharmed. The children are held overnight once more. The next day, more threats, but they just, they're not giving up. And the tinsmith realizes he's lost. There's nothing he can do and sets them free. On August 19th, around four in the afternoon, Lucia's sister and her husband are walking towards Fatima. They notice the temperature suddenly drop. The sun becomes yellowish and they they notice that the countryside is tinted again in various changing colors. Elsewhere in the village, Lucia and Francesco feel something supernatural approaching. The sun pales, the air cools. And they send Lucia's brother to bring Jacinta. I believe he, he didn't want to go at first, and mm-hmm. I think Lucia offered him a penny or something yeah. to, go, to go get her. So as Jacinta arrives, there's a flash of light. The lady appears in the top of a different tree. They fall on their knees in rapture, and Lucia asks, what do you want of me? The lady replies. There's a lot of repetition. She replies, mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. want you to continue to go to the kova on the 13th of the month and to keep on reciting the beads every day. In the last month, I will perform a miracle so that all may believe. If they had not taken you to the town, the miracle would be better known. The child Jesus will come with St. Joseph to bless the world, and our Lord will come to give peace to the world. So money was being left at the cova in tribute. Lucia asked what should be done with the money. The lady said two beers should be made for the feast of Our Lady of the Rosary. You and Jacinta and two other girls dressed in white carry one. Francesco and three other boys carry the other. The money should be used for the feast of Our Lady of the Rosary. Lucia then asks about several sick people. The lady replies, Yes, I will cure some within a year. And then a look of sadness comes upon her face, and she says, Pray, pray very much, and make sacrifices for sinners. For many souls go to hell because they have no one to make sacrifices and pray for them. She then departs to the east as she had before. The only observer to this apparition outside of the seers was Lucia's brother, who again heard a sound like a rocket as the apparition departed. Mm. Now at the cove, these children were somewhat protective of this oak tree I think people came and took branches from it anyway over time, but but they themselves were pretty protective of it and they they didn't want to take branches or anything. But for some reason, Jacinta took a branch off the tree, the branch where the apparition had stood. And she brings this home and several people note a beautiful smell of the branch, including several um, skeptical of the apparitions, including Jacinta's aunt. They said it was a wonderful smell that they they really couldn't place but a very pleasant yeah smell.
4: yeah a, a floral a floral smell but but again these were people who knew the countryside extremely well and and, and were very close to to it a oak branch should not be exuding a perfume mm-hmm. of, of any kind other than just the simple smell of of a tree and not only did it what was it present around the branch but it seemed to fill the house they said when it was there you know and again this is quite often a supernatural sign associated with the more positive sides of things or, the, or, the, or a positive presence that there is a smell that people, you know, they speak of as being like, like things, like roses, like honeysuckle, like, but not at the same time. Um, what's interesting about the oak tree actually is that there are a number of, of accounts of the crowd when they were there, when the, um, the apparition would take place or when the when the lady was seen to be there, that the branches at the top of the tree would actually depress slightly as though there was a weight on top of them. And when the apparition would recede and, and would go, the branches would return to their, like, spring back to their original position. Mm-hmm. So, uh, again, you have something that is is both physical and non-physical happening at the same time.
1: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
2: September 13th, 1917. Mm -hmm. 30,000 people have now gathered at the cova. Mm. At noon, the sun grows dim. Lucia declares the ladies approaching. The crowd observes a globe of light approaching the oak tree. Then a cloud forms around the tree. Rays of light shine from above, and a shower of tiny white petals begins to fall from the sky. Where They were described as petals at first, but they said when people got closer to them, or they got closer to people, mm-hmm. I suppose, they said they were like white glistening balls, which got smaller as they fell and people tried to catch them and they just melted away and they apparently continue to fall throughout this vision
4: yeah 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 there's great parallels here to the you know to the angel hair uh, idea to the um the sort of the various kind of atmospheric phenomena that, that we see the unusual kind of falls of of hail or snow in the midst of these things and snow is often associated and snow effects are often associated with the marian apparitions uh, one of the earliest ones, which resulted in the building of um, the great Basilica of Santa Maria Maggiore in, in Rome, uh, which is the, the mother church of the mother churches, is the way they put it. was the, the first basilica dedicated to Our Lady that happened because um, people who were praying to know where the church should be built discovered that snow had fallen in the middle of August, which is the hottest time in Rome, and it covered just one small spot. And that's the, the place where, where the basilica is built to this day. So there are... Um, celebrated each day each year there the, the feast of, of uh, our lady of the snows and um the patronal feast includes a moment when they they sprinkle white rose petals from the top of the church uh-huh. as a reminder of the snow that fell on that particular day
2: as the apparition appears the cs again what do you want of me and the lady replies continue to say the beads as to bring about the end of the war in October, our Lord will come, and so will Our Lady of Sorrows and Our Lady of Mount Carmel. St. Joseph will also come with the child Jesus to bless the world. Now, she's referring to different aspects uh, hmm.
4: of Mary. So, our, yes, know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and again, we have to remember this is words that the, the visionaries receive in an ecstatic way, which they are then you know, translating into their particular form of, of Portuguese at the time. So the different titles or aspects or feasts of Our Lady, these refer to the same person. Mm-hmm. It's not that different people are showing up. It's just that, that there are particular ways in iconography of depicting aspects of Our Lady and of, of her, her role as intercessor or as queen or as mother. And so uh, what's being said to them is that they will see Our Lady under these different aspects.
2: Now, the children, as we mentioned before, they had they had started making these these sacrifices, uh, mm. incredible things for children to do. Again, they were giving their lunches to the poor. They were, you know, at all times they were they were giving anything they could to the poor, mm-hmm. to the point where I think some people had to like, hey, you need to eat too, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and they had taken to wearing these rough ropes around their waist, and they were wearing them day and night as a sort mm-hmm. of uh, you know sacrifice.
4: Mm. Yeah. And where the inspiration for that, those particular penances came from, we don't really know. There do seem to have been other experiences that were just private to the children themselves. Certainly in Lucia's later memoirs, there are references to sort of apparitions that either one or two of them would have had or spiritual inspiration or locution that were sort of outside the major public apparitions. This particular penance the penance of wearing a cord or a chain around the waist is again a monastic penance it's not something that they would have been aware of themselves really Mm -hmm. um there were various uh, spiritual confraternities kind of spiritual prayer groups and things like that that were around at the time and they would have had kind of uniforms or cords that were worn around the waist but they weren't worn tight to cause penance it was just a symbol of membership of that so this is something that it certainly seemed to, to, be, to come from an inner inspiration and, and that they were, um, they were doing, as, as it says, day and night. The
2: lady is uh, apparently aware of this. She says, God mm-hmm. is pleased with your sacrifice, but he does not want you to sleep with the rope. Wear it only during the day. Mm-hmm. It's a n- nice little relief for them that they can sleep with Absolutely, yeah. 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 Lucia again asks for cures and conversions for the spectators. I think she felt a great pressure by, you know all these people. I think she had yeah. difficulty getting to the the tree because these people would say, you know, please, you know, pray for my son, pray for my daughter, sure. Pray people for were my mother. handing
4: her things they wanted her to touch. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were they were you know handing um, letters that they wanted her to read or to pass on. You know, names, photographs, petitions. It was very very difficult for them at this stage with the kind of crowd that they were that they were in, and they you know it was regularly that they were almost crushed to death.
2: Mm. And she seems almost distressed by the fact that she can't ask for everyone you know like, sure yeah she seems yeah. like she wants to do her best to ask for everyone mm-hmm. individually and she just can't the lady replies i'll cure some within the year but not others and then lucia asks if a chapel should be built at the cova again not something i mean would a child ask that
4: no indeed indeed absolutely yeah, yeah and, yeah. It, and
2: yeah. the averson replies yes i would like a chapel built here in honor of our lady of the rosary But tell the people to use only half the money for the new chapel. The other half should be used for the cult and feast of Our Lady of the Rosary. Two processional beers should be purchased with the money, and the remainder of it carried on these beers to the parish church during the festivities in honor of Our Lady of the Rosary.
4: Mm. So these kind of processions were very common, and still are in in Mediterranean Europe, where you would go from a a chapel or a site of a miracle or a site where a saint had lived with an image of the saint uh, on a kind of a processional cart, and this would go to celebrate the feast and would then arrive at the church and would be installed with great ceremony in the main church itself. So the children would have understand would have understood this. They would have participated in these kind of processions.
2: And Lucia asks again, she said, there are many that say I am an imposter or that I deserve to be hanged and burned. Please perform a miracle so that all will believe. And the lady replies, yes, in October, I will perform a miracle so that all may believe. And she departs as before, some of the onlookers see a globe departing, some don't see anything. But all the phenomena stop and these petals cease falling at this time. Mm. I mean, can you imagine being there
4: for that? It it must, it must have been just absolutely extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Uh, Not to mention what's coming. So yeah. uh, Yeah. um,
4: And of course, the the crowd knows and the crowd begins to talk and by this stage, the, the events have begun to attract national and even international interest. The press is beginning to cover it at this point. And so when the word goes out that a miracle has been promised for October, you can imagine the, the media interest in that.
2: October 13th, 1917, there's a heavy rain on the streets in the town and the COVID. just mud. Everything's turned to mud. Mm-hmm. 70,000
4: people have gathered. And and that's a conservative estimate, actually. I I looked it up. They say somewhere between 70 and 90, yeah. Wow.
2: Yeah, so I looked up. That's about the capacity of a Super Bowl stadium, right? So for (laughs) for Americans, that's a good good reference. That's a massive crowd. That's an absolutely massive crowd. Mm. It's afternoon by the watch. So all these uh, they were appearing at noon, and Mm. no apparition has appeared. And a priest notes that, he says, our lady does not lie. As it must be an illusion mm. and Lucia answers that well this is my father's land and I'm going to wait here the confidence again of
4: absolutely someone- and, and at, at that age and particularly in that society at the time you know to disagree with a priest publicly mm. would not have been something that children would have been encouraged to do at all to disagree with any adult right, publicly right. particularly in, in front of a crowd like that uh, I mean this was the age of, of children being seen and not heard, you know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was a brave, brave thing to stand against somebody like that, as, as volubly as that.
2: So it's noted that basically at noon by the sun, so when the sun is directly overhead, so not by mm. man's time, but by the and sun. And that's
4: how the children would have measured it, remember. Ah, um, you yeah. know, the, they, they would always have, have measured the day and the length of the day by the sun, they were not people who were carrying watches or or, um, or 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 clocks with them. They were agricultural laborers, and it was the it was the sun that told them, you know, uh, when to get up, when to go to bed, and 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 what jobs to do at what time.
2: So at noon, by the sun, Lucia sees a flash of light. The lady approaches as before, stands atop the home. Of- Jacinta's aunt, although she was skeptical, came to the cova, and. As the seers were in ecstasy, looking at the apparition, she's smelling the same odor that the branch gave off. And at this point, she's, she's beginning to realize, like, okay, there's something happening here. Lucia again asks, what do you want of me? The lady replies, I want a chapel built here in honor of the Lady of the Rosary. Continue without fail to say the beads every day. The war is going to end, and the soldiers will soon return to their homes. And she says, will you tell me what your name is? And she says, I am the Lady of the Rosary lucia again says i have many favors to ask many people seek cures and conversions the lady replies i will grant some of the requests but not all of them they must amend their lives and ask forgiveness for their sins the lady leaves rising to the east as she's done before and as she departs and lucia said she wasn't even conscious of of yelling this. She, she yells look at the sun she sees the lady ascending opens her hands with palms upward at this the rain stops The clouds seem to burst into ribbons and puffs from the lady's hands. She sees beams of light reflected on the sun. Now, they're saying the sun appears at this point as a spinning silver disc. The seers see the Lady of the Rosary appear to the right of the sun. She appears more brilliant than the sun, and now she's wearing a blue mantle. Often, if you see uh, Our Lady of Fatima's statues, she has the blue mantle on They also see St. Joseph and the child Jesus to the left of the sun. Both are dressed in red, both blessing the world. Lucia alone then sees the bust of Jesus dressed in red to the right of the sun. He's making the sign of the cross with his hand over the people. To the left of the sun, she sees Our Lady of Sorrows dressed in purple. Again to the right, she sees the lady dressed in strange garments, which she can't identify. But she said something's hanging from her right hand and since she was promised that she would see Our Lady of Mount Carmel, she assumes she's holding a scapular in her right hand, Mm. and that this would be the vision of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, that was the vision that gave the scapular, right? That's right. Yeah, 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 in St.
4: Simon's Dock in the year 1222, I think. Yeah, yeah.
2: Francesco and Jacinta are staring at the silver sun. It's turning on its own axis. It casts off beams of colored light, red, blue, violet, yellow. Everything in the landscape is tinted in these various colors now the crowd at this time they see the clouds part they see the silver disc they see the colored lights it's whirling and spinning it's casting off light it then trembles and kind of roams around in the sky and they said sometimes it's going in front of the clouds and sometimes behind it does this dance three times and then stops starts trembling again and begins moving falling from the sky here you go ufo people in a Mm -hmm. zigzag motion (laughs) <laughs> and it's coming towards the earth. At this point, the cloud gets struck with terror. They said they can feel the heat coming off this. They, you know, It's almost as if the sun's coming out of the sky. Oh, this, this obviously doesn't look like the natural sun at this point. Mm-hmm. And just as it seems it's going to obliterate the crowd, it stops. It reverses the zigzag motion back upwards into the sky. It stops in the sky and transforms back into the normal sun. So it's too bright to stare out anymore at this point, despite the fact that it had been pouring rain before. After all this, the crowd realizes that their clothes are now dry.
4: Mm -hmm. It's a nice touch. (laughs) Yeah,
2: yeah. And uh, it's important to note there were believers in the crowd. There were Mm -hmm. non-believers. There were Mm -hmm. Jewish people. There were atheists. There were scientists. There were newspaper reporters. The vast majority of people, down to, I think there's one or two people who said, oh, I didn't see anything. Mm. <laughs> the vast majority of people report the color changing in the sky and the dancing sun phenomena.
4: Mm. And I, I think what's important as well, because the, this is the one, this is the apparition, the particular apparition that gets cited by the UFO people mm-hmm. um, more than any of the others without sort of taking the whole process into into account. Uh, the first thing I'd say is, is, what's very interesting is that the crowd tell us that while The sun, this zigzagging silver object, is doing its thing. There was no other sun in the sky. So as far as they were concerned, it was the sun. Mm -hmm. It wasn't an object that was being lit by light from anywhere else. All all light was emerging from this. The clouds had pulled back, and where the sun should have been in the sky, there was nothing. Uh, Hence them calling it the miracle of the sun. Once it returns to the position that the sun should be in, uh, there's this transformation moment where they suddenly realize they're all dry and the uh, sun has is, is now appears just as the normal sun again. What's really interesting around it as well is it's one of the, I mean, there are, there are wonderful photographs of the crowd at the time. There is even one particular photograph, which as far as I know is the only one that was taken of the miracle itself. And that shows the sun um, or, or what they perceived as the sun at the time up on its edge moving or in, in the wrong position from where it should be mm. again photographic proof of any of this this is is um, you know is, is something that can be debated to eternity but what's interesting is is not so much what it shows in the sky as showing the size of the crowd right um, and that's really really incredible to see just the crowd that it gathered and as you say the debunkers had arrived, you know, they, they thought this was it, this is where they would catch the children because mm-hmm. they had given a specific prediction of of something that was going to happen on a specific day. And as we know, that's often where the prophets fail is when, you know, the year or the day or the moment is given and, and either nothing happens or, or something less than what was promised happens. But whatever else you, we can say about you know i can speak about it from the religious tradition that's fine and that there's an element of faith within that but we can certainly say that a, a huge one of the biggest crowds to gather at that time had an event where regardless of their belief or their unbelief they saw something which they could not explain
2: the newspaper reports at the time bear it out it's whatever happened there was amazing And it's consistent, at least the color changing, the moving of whatever this disc was in the sky Mm. and it casting off lights. That is consistent amongst the reports. Yeah. Yeah. must have been astounding. And people could see it from surrounding towns.
4: Yeah. And so when we get that idea of, of, um, you know, crowd hysteria or mass hypnosis or mass hallucination, that's often often been said. The fact that it was seen and observed at a distance by people who just hadn't traveled, they weren't there, they weren't interested, they didn't want to be there for whatever reason, but yet they saw it as well. So if it was a mass hallucination, in some way it was even affecting people who were miles away and had no idea that anything was supposed to be happening. So I'm not entirely sure how that one would work. But (laughs) it's interesting because as, as one commentator put it, you know, it's one of the the most impressive cosmic level experiences that people have had, that's almost biblical in impact. Oh, yeah. The only apparition, other apparition of Our Lady that, that, uh, that I would say uh, has produced even even more extraordinary effects would be the apparitions in Zaytun in Cairo. Where again that was what we call mass apparition where anyone who turned up saw the apparition regardless of who they were or what their faith or their level of, of belief was that it was appearing um, on the top of a coptic church that's right okay. yeah okay. yeah yeah um and uh, there, there's some really interesting uh, photographic and even film of the events that were that were taking place there and that was where you know the church opened itself up and, and allowed anybody of any faith, you know, who wanted to investigate it to, to investigate it. So what's interesting is that these events, you know, consistently have happened down through history. And in Fatima, we have a most extraordinary example of such an event.
2: Now, we didn't touch on this in the beginning. Mm. Why are some apparitions approved and others are not?
4: Mm. Approved by the church. Sure. Okay, so let's, let's talk about it from that point of view. Within the context of the church, we believe, and I'm speaking now out of the tradition, so we believe that all essential teaching, what we call the deposit of faith, everything that is needed or was needed for revelation, ended with the death of the last apostle. So once that first generation had passed, those to whom Christ had given the particular grace of... Um, we see it in, in the gospel with regard to Pentecost. We were, we're told that the, the scriptures were opened to them and they were filled with the knowledge of what's of what was necessary. Everything was given within that. Now, the church over the ages, you know, sort of unfolds it. It's like uh, the gift was given and the gift has to be unwrapped and opened up. Where apparitions are concerned, the teaching of the church is that you can believe it if you like. You don't have to believe it if you like. It has nothing to do with... with essential creedal faith if it's a support to you that's wonderful if it's not that's okay too so where signs wonders miracles these kind of things take place they can be seen as confirmatory events they can be seen as experiences that can can deepen faith for people but actually they're not essential and they they are neither add anything nor, nor leave anything and in the mystical tradition actually we spoke about the first two levels um, purgative and illuminative the third level is what we call unitive uh, and at that moment the person experiences an interior union with with the divine and so all external signs and symbols and images and all of that they're they're not necessary anymore and you know, they can be dropped they can be let go of excluding uh, sacramental liturgy that's the only thing that remains because that's considered a, a a very particular way in which the divine interacts with with humanity
2: seems almost like reaching enlightenment
4: uh, absolutely it, yeah. it it is really it's it's what we would call theosis which is the, the moment where and it's the destiny of every human being it's just for most of us it will only be accomplished after death mm-hmm. but it's the moment where we have been so purified of self and of ego and of of the, the parts of ourselves that are um, desire for desire's sake that we end up reflecting as clearly as possible the light of the divine and we don't lose our individuality as one of the saints put it the mirror of the soul um, which is very often kind of dirty and obscured and we haven't done the work to clean it is polished clean and so the light reflects perfectly through it so that's the goal so the apparitions come to confirm and to invite us into deeper ways of living etc but they are not essential and one gains nothing nor loses anything from our faith by taking them on the reason some apparitions would be sort of authenticated is that by and large the church begins from from a position of absolute skepticism mm-hmm. with regard to these things, and Which this by the way, you can recognize this people.
2: in this in Fatima, in all these stories. Oh yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. the clergy starts out at like hands off. Let's see what's, what's happening here. Yeah.
4: yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's see where it goes. And no judgment is ever made. No definitive judgment is ever made on a on a series of apparitions until they have ceased completely. So even with regard to Medjugorje, for example, the most recent ones, while there are statements made by the church around how worship should be carried out on the site, how um guidance of pilgrims should take place. There's no definitive statement made until the apparitions finish. And they haven't finished there yet, so we wait and see. The other element around it as well, I suppose, is that you know many apparitions that take place are, are kind of personal to people. And what people forget is that they are being mediated through their own psychology. And so as I said before, through that kind of spiritual co creation end of things sometimes people without discernment can be imposing or projecting their own experiences and in even their own spiritual life externally. So if you like, they're, they're internally generating rather than externally receiving. And when that happens, we can get sort of uh, more confused experiences, shall we say. The other thing that the church looks at then as well is what is the apparition doing for the one who receives it? So do we see spiritual growth? Do we see spiritual maturity? Do we see someone who is separated from, you know, making money out of out of the thing or trying to um, subjugate others through it or spiritually dominate others through? So in the life of the children, we would see this absolutely in Fatima. You know, there's there's great spiritual maturity, great compassion. And at the same time, a real willingness for them to walk a path of deep conversion that many an adult would, would run from um, oh, you know, or, or change from. Yeah. And yet we see this, and it's consistent not just in the lives of Jacinta and Francesco who died quite young, but in Lucia, who lived well into her 90s and maintained um, not just a deeply spiritual life, but chose one of the hardest paths within Catholicism, which is the path of the Carmelite recluse sister. Who lives a life of absolute enclosure and total dedication to prayer for the rest of her life so that's not to say that every visionary has to become a monk or a nun but it is that every visionary would be you know people would look at them and say well are they living in such a way within the confines of human Mm fallibility but are they living in such a way that shows that this has actually brought them deeper conversion and deeper faith and so all of those things would go to judging whether an apparition was genuine or not the most the most obvious and simple thing at the end is, you know, has the figure, the apparition, has it said anything that is inimical to gospel faith? And obviously, if it was doing that, then it would be considered a false apparition.
2: Before we get into the secrets, I guess we should follow the, the lives of our seers a little bit. Sure. Uh, as predicted, Jacinta and Francesco die young, as mm. as the apparition said they would.
4: Yeah, yeah, and most extraordinarily their acceptance of death uh, isn't is i mean it's just incredible in terms of its maturity um, yeah. they're consoling others you know mm-hmm. who are and naturally enough it's not it's not to to overlook the tragedy of two children dying quite young and the pain that that brought to their families but at the same time they seemed supernaturally aware that this was a transition rather than an end and, uh, and comforted and, in a way Yeah, Very much like, oh, I'm just going to join Our Lady, as she said. Yeah, absolutely. She promised me, and that's where I'm going. And, you know, when I get there, I'll be praying that you get there soon, too.
5: Mm
4: -hmm. There were a number of interior experiences and smaller visions that both Jacinta and Francesco had in their sickness that continued to console them and strengthen them along the way. Uh, Jacinta, to the very end, offered everything for sinners, as the Lady had asked them. They were extraordinary in their journey towards the end of this mortal life.
2: Uh, Spanish flu, basically, both took them. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. Yeah. absolutely, yeah, yeah, Yeah. Yeah.
4: which devastated the whole of Europe at that time. mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah, Uh, so, you know, yet another thing the apparition had predicted Mm. comes to pass. Lucia goes on, as you said, joins the Mm -hmm. religious order and uh, spends the rest of her life between seclusion and in uh, again and again, sort of writing out the story at the request of others.
4: Yeah. So many times, I mean, how she didn't just tire of these people who asked her to tell the story again and again and again, she becomes a very significant figure. You know, normally the life of a Carmelite sister is is one of deep seclusion and, and, and solitude. And so for most of her early Carmelite life, even the sisters in the monastery didn't know who she was. Mm. Um, they, they, you know, she had she had gone to a different place. She had changed, obviously, entering religious life. She had changed her name. The sisters have a discipline of not inquiring about the past of anyone who comes in. So they didn't know who she was. Only the abbess, the, the, the superior, knew who she was. In later years, when the sisters discovered who she was, they were astounded, mm. you know. So she was living in a community where even some of the sisters within the community were, you know, they weren't Fatima believers at the time. And they were they were people who um, were, were kind of worried about it. And yet she she kept her silence while in the meantime, various bishops and prelates and doctors and even even the papacy asked her again and again to record her memoirs. If anybody out there is is interested, there is a beautiful little book Um which is is published uh, you, you'll find it easily enough and it's just called fatima in lucia's own words and that concludes that includes in english the text of the four famous memoirs which was um the documents that she wrote with regard to the history of the apparitions themselves
2: her love of uh, francesco and jacinta is so apparent In that text, Mm. she just celebrates them. It's it's really lovely to read.
4: Yeah, and and what's really nice is that even though she was, I suppose, the central visionary in that she was the one who was, you know, having the conversations, she points attention away from herself all of the time, uh, and really says, actually, if you really want the message of Fatima, it's the example of Jacinta and Francesco that you need to look at.
2: So people are very curious about secrets, right? And, <laughs> of course. <laughs> and, and secrets became a big part of the story of Fatima mm. going forward from this time mm. to the point where some people were pretty obsessively, you know, I guess the, the first and second secrets were revealed uh, at some point. I, I forget exactly when, but the third secret was kind of kept uh, pretty mm. locked tight <laughs> to the Pope and, and a few select others.
4: Yeah there's there was a great mystique about it it was supposed to be kept in a locked box on the pope's desk and passed from one pope to another and the interesting thing about it was that Lucia herself once she handed it over it was up to the pope to reveal it whenever he wanted to reveal it but it certainly took the imagination of many people who who projected all kinds of things oh, in yeah, it you yeah. know the date of the end of the world was one of the favorite favorite ones mm-hmm. that was that was there yeah 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 it was an extraordinary text, but it was interesting that within the the papacy of of John Paul II, it was decided then at that stage in the year 2000 that uh, the text of the Third Secret would be released. Cardinal Sedano, who was one of the the top cardinals within the church, he was the one who was chosen then to to actually reveal the text. And that was published on the 26th of June in the year 2000.
2: And of course, there are conspiracy theorists who say the, the full secrets not been published
4: well of course because it's it's easier the document has as read or the words that are spoken are not the ones that you want them to be
5: mm-hmm.
4: well then you know it's better to say the words that you wanted are actually hidden somewhere else mm-hmm. you know yeah so this is it but it's really a spiritual commentary on uh, on the church and and particularly uh, the church as it moves into the the next millennium. It was connected very much with the assassination attempt that was made on on Pope John Paul II, Mm
5: -hmm.
4: which took place on the feast of Our Lady of Fatima, the 13th of of May 1981, which was the 64th anniversary of the first apparition. Those of your listeners who are old enough might remember the Pope was visiting with the crowd in St. Peter's Square and suddenly uh, out of the crowd uh, he was shot. The gun that was uh, that was used shot only one bullet. It, for whatever reason, jammed and failed. And the shot that he was going to take, which would have been at almost point blank range, missed the Pope's heart by a tiny, tiny amount. Um, I think he was told millimetres would have uh, killed him. John Paul II, who was already a Pope with great Marian devotion, tremendously devoted to Our Lady, saw huge significance in the fact that it took place on the 13th of May and that having placed himself and his papacy under the protection of Mary, that, as he said, one hand pulled the trigger, but another hand directed the bullet. And so later, uh, when the bullet was removed, he had it brought to him and it was sent to Fatima and now rests in the crown of the statue of Our Lady of Fatima in the shrine in Fatima. If you go there and see the statue, which is on the, the site of the, the apparitions where the, the oak tree was, and look closely at the crown, you can see the bullet within the crown. Wow. Um, the bullet is there to this day. So that led him to reflect on the Fatima message a lot. He visited the shrine quite, quite a number of times, and it was at his direction, finally, that the text of the Third Secret was revealed. If anybody wants to read it, it's, it's out there. Um, it's, it's very clear. It's quite apocalyptic in imagery. And uh, it was released with a theological commentary that had been sort of approved by the Pope, uh, but was written by Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, who eventually became the next Pope, Pope Benedict XVI, because they wanted to be sure that people would interpret it correctly. Mm -hmm. What's with secrets in these apparitions? (laughs) (laughs) I think to some extent they're confirmatory in the sense that if somebody says, look, you know, this apparition has happened. They have told me that on this particular day, an event, this particular event is going to happen. Then when it does happen, it confirms the original event. I think it's also about faith more than anything else, that there is, uh, as rationally as we might want to analyze these experiences, they're kind of super rational and they're inviting us into an experience of trust. And, you know, to know that there is information being passed that is not for you is to invite a certain humility a certain trust that uh, there is a power a higher power beyond us that knows better than we know or better than we do what we need to know and that that kind of goes against the human ego particularly in this information age you know where people think they should have access to absolutely everything at all times
5: yeah
4: yeah you know i remember slightly different different story but i remember our archives here go back to um, the early 1600s so we get a lot of people who are kind of following up genealogy who want to look at you know baptismal registers and, and things like that and, and and they're open to people people looking at them but I remember meeting one woman sitting on the steps of the church outside and she was crying so I stopped and said you know what's wrong and she said to me it's all lies everything is lies so I said, what do you mean and she had been researching her family tree and had discovered in the baptismal records something that had just upended the narrative that the family had about itself. And so she was now regretting ever having moved into the past. So we sat together for a while and we spoke about, you know, there are sometimes compassionate reasons why people draw a veil over certain things, particularly in society of, of those generations past And that in actual fact, what she was discovering was not so much a lie as a secret that had been kept by a family so as to keep people safe. Mm
5: -hmm.
4: And that helped her along the way. But, uh, you know, again, coming from the age of we should know everything about everybody all at once. Well, the problem with that is it removes the reflective capacity to actually invite a sort of a more compassionate awareness of how people are. Because the one piece of information we don't want anybody to have, you know, uh, fully is the information about our own self. You know, that's the part that we want to keep private while wanting to know everything about everybody else.
2: Why children? Oh,
4: well, I think for me, it's, it goes back to, to Christ in the gospel saying, unless you become as a child, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And there's a big difference between being childlike and childish.
5: Yeah.
4: The childlike end of things that we see in Jacinta and in Francesco and in Lucia for me, it's, it's the, the one guarantee of authenticity of all of this, that despite extraordinary pressure, the threat of violence, indeed, the reception of physical violence on a number of occasions, the fact that their own families turned against them and their local community didn't know what to make of them, they maintained absolute um, solidity in what in what they were saying mm-hmm. and continue to to the end of their lives. And it's one thing to do it, you know, for two or three years after being seven, eight or nine. It's another thing to be absolutely solid on it at 93, 94, 95. Yeah, Lucia um, lived a very long time. She, yeah. Very long life. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely afterwards. Yeah, I died well into her 90s. I actually have. I was given, uh, it's, it's one of a very special gift that, that I was given just before I, I made vows. A friend of mine who was a member of the Third Order Carmelites, that's the, the lay side of the of the Carmelites, had been to the Carmelite monastery where Lucia was a sister. And obviously he didn't get to meet her, she was she was cloistered, but he was praying there and he met the sister who who meets the pilgrims. And he said to her that he he was asking for prayers to be said for me before the vows. So he had a cross in his hands that he had he had bought in the little gift shop that they that they had there. So the sister asked him for the cross I took it off and came back and said give this to the brother she didn't know my name she said give this to the brother it's been blessed by lucia Ah. Um so i i still have that to this day it rests on my meditation altar um mm-hmm. and it's a it's a, an extraordinary connection but i mean going back to the children it's it's that old thing of you know out of the mouths of babes and sucklings real truth appears a child will tell you will tell you the truth whether you like it or not and it's not to say the children can't fantasize and live imaginal lives and, and live you know we all know that the, the the children that have the imaginary friends, um, though having worked with with kids for a very long period of time, I would say they are less imaginary than we think. Those yes, friends,
2: some certainly, yeah. Yeah,
4: yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Some of your your previous um, uh, episodes uh, in, in, uh, included that, but I think the children are chosen, and particularly poor children are chosen, because they're living a kind of an egoless existence to some extent. And there comes a moment when uh, they are, you know, open to receiving these messages and communicating them in such a way that the finest theological minds, you know, with regard to Fatima and and Lourdes especially, are astounded that these children are naming concepts that they themselves don't understand, but that only, you know, scholarly academics and professors would really be talking about.
2: Francisco, Jacinta, are they beatified or are they, are they sainted yet?
4: They're, they're saints. The they're two faithful. of them are saints. Yeah, they, they have been canonized. They're buried at Fatima, at the shrine. And that's where their, their remains are now. At the recognition of the remains of both Jacinta and Francesca, both were found in what was said to be unusual states of preservation. There is one photograph, which your, your listeners can, or can find online very easily, where when they were doing the recognition, somebody managed to get a photograph of Jacinta's face um, many, many years after they had been buried. And they were buried normally as, as ordinary, you know, members of the family in the middle of a, of a pandemic. There was no great ceremony. They were buried very simply, very quickly mm-hmm. for fear of, of contamination. But yeah, they, they, they appeared to be to be incorrupt. Um, the process for the canonization of Lucia as, as the third remaining has only just begun because obviously she's only died recently. So yeah. there's a much longer life to be looked at and to be examined. But, right. um, but yeah, they are worthy of public veneration is the way it, is the way that, that is put to them. And I'd, I'd encourage, again, the listeners, if they're Googling any of this, just have a look at the photographs of the children. There, there were photographs taken just after some of the apparitions. And look at the faces of those children. They are eyes that are looking at you from a place beyond this world, as far as I'm concerned. And you see that in, you know, it's not just visionaries. You see that in people who've had these numinous experiences right the way across. There is a look they get that tells you that they have seen something. Yeah.
2: Well, this is the first of a series. So we're going to be looking at some of these other apparitions because it's a great interest of mine and yours as well sure
4: <laughs> so, and, and, and hopefully uh, people will bear with us i don't know i hope this- so and i hope it, it spurs discussion and mm-hmm. and interest and maybe people going back over the narratives and and again obviously as i say i'm i'm coming at it from from a place of faith but also a faith i hope that's open wide enough to recognize the the common elements with with all of these these things and it's interesting to see people project you know whether it's they want to see it as UFO sighting or as a fae experience or as a, a ghost experience or as, you know, psychosis or hallucination. What I'd say is wherever you're coming from, just really dive deep and read as much as you can of what the children said themselves. Yeah, yeah. And just let that be with you.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, you can you can take the religious message or not. But sure. Th- yeah. You know, this is an incredible paranormal thing with incredible yeah. records of. These apparitions communicating, which is yeah. you know incredibly valuable. I think to know the actual words, to have these actual words that were said. If if I was doing yeah. a story on UFOs and and Greys came out of a ship and actually related a message that someone remembered, I would quote
4: that message the same way. Of course, you know, yeah, because, yeah, sure, yeah. sure, sure, absolutely, yeah. So,
2: well, thank you, brother Richard. As always, it's been wonderful. Thank you.
4: Thanks, for, thanks for having me, and and I hope um, I'm not wearing out my welcome just to say to everybody out there that that I I hope they enjoy this and that it, it leads to even more discoveries along the way.
2: I'd like to thank Brother Richard, as ever, for helping me with the Fatima episodes and for coming on the show in general. You'll be hearing from Brother Richard soon, if it's up to me. We'll get him back as soon as we can. This won't be the last episode on Marian Apparitions. We plan to do a series on them. So if you like this, there's definitely more to come. The Halloween Party. I don't know if this is the full series of these cards.
3: It seems like it has a resolution. It seems like it tells a little narrative. and
2: There's a little poem on the back of each one, or just on some of them. Only on some. It's a series of stereo views. Which show people ducking for apples? They call it on here.
3: Oh, I wonder when the change from ducking to bobbing came along. Yeah, I'm maybe it's fair. regional. I don't know. Maybe it's like a duck pin bowling versus yeah candle pin versus.
2: Yes, it's a whole series about a fellow who wants to join some ladies at their Halloween party, and what ensues? What hilarity ensues! <laughs> <laughs> so this I is a whole... haven't
3: been to a Halloween party this outrageous in ages.
2: Right. This is what passes for turn of the century humor, <laughs> <laughs> but it's a Halloween theme. You said we were going to do Halloween until Halloween here. Yeah, this is my last one. So after this, it's on you. No, I think I I have one more. I have one more I've Halloween got other stereo. Halloween stuff. Okay, all right. Three weeks in October mm-hmm. are going to be you coming up with stuff because I have one more. In any case, this is a series of four stereo views which depict a Halloween party.
3: It says copyright 1908, and they do have sort of like almost Gibson girl kind of haircuts. So for these gals seem way ahead of their time.
2: They're a little flirty. They're they a little, are. They're a little... Uh... They'll be punished. <laughs> we'll put an image of these stereo views in the show notes. If you click on that, it'll take you to our Etsy shop where you can purchase this wonderful series of Halloween party stereo views.
3: So you, you could have them at your own Halloween party and be very meta.
2: Or maybe get ideas for how you want your party to go.
3: Mm-hmm. I always found bobbing for apples kind of pointless.
2: (laughs) I don't know that I've ever done it. Maybe once.
3: Yeah, maybe once. I think maybe once I did it. I remember being frustrated by it.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's not easy. You can find a picture of these in the show notes. If you click on that, it'll take you to our Etsy shop where you can purchase these and other curiosities of the week. While you're on Etsy, check out our shop, Shop Name Lost Grave. If you type in Strange Familiars, our stuff should come up later this week or early next week. Strange Familiars restocks for the classic Awoken Tree shirts in blue, but also the Awoken Tree shirts in in glow-in-the-dark. Also at Etsy, artwork. You can get prints and originals. Allison has other antique photographs up there. My books are up there, and much more. Again, our shop name is Lost Grave, but if you type in Strange Familiars, you'll see our stuff come up. While you're on Etsy, check out our friend's at Karmic Garden and Chad Shop is Ruck Rabbit outdoors. We will have the glow in the dark shirts at Albatwitch Day as well. We'll have the regular shirts there too. We'll have a lot of stuff at Albertwitch Day. We pretty we'll much. We'll have
3: John. John's coming along. John
2: is coming. Riverbend Comics will be there. Quantities of my books. We got, but the, the prints are there. The you don't t-shirts. like the postal
3: service. This is your chance.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Come on out to Albertwitch Day, October eighth. In Columbia, Pennsylvania, at the Columbia Riverfront, I will also be speaking there. What I will be speaking about is a mystery because <laughs> I'm not sure yet. Now, I think it's going to be on the Witch Cloud. I'm going to be giving a talk there, and I will repeat the talk for Strange Realities a week later. But come on out and see us, Albert Witch Day, October 8th in Columbia, Pennsylvania. Love to see you. I think that's everything for this week, Allison. All right. We'll be back soon with more strange familiars.
6: Are you fascinated by UFOs, the occult, strange history, and more? On October 14th through the 16th at SIR Nashville, the Strange Realities Conference 2022 will take place. Three days of exploring the mysteries of the supernatural, history, UFOs, the occult, and much, much more. Featuring presentations by Steve Berg. Micah Hanks, John Tinney, Adam Gowrightly, Tim Banal, Christopher Ernst, Samantha Engel, Recluse, Nathan Isaac, Melody Blackthorne, Dr. Future, Soraya Askath, Timothy Ritter, Aaron Gullius, Delaney Bowers, Olaf Phillips, and David Metcalf. With workshops by Kiki Dombrowski, Ren Collier, and Michael Hughes. Come join us. In Nashville, or online... Tickets are available at strangerealitiesconference.com. Find out what everyone is talking about.
7: We live our entire lives knowing that death awaits us. Many believe that some part of us endures eyewitnesses swear to have seen spirits of the dead haunting the living and even appearing during alien abductions is the UFO mystery reaching out to us from beyond the stars or from beyond the grave this staggering implication demands not only scrutiny of the UFO phenomenon but near death experiences ancient monuments ley lines, the fae folk cryptids and more I'm Joshua Kutchen, I'd like to invite you into the ecology of souls a new mythology of death and the paranormal. A comprehensive theory of all things supernatural framed through the lens of our final transition. Join me as we journey from the depths of prehistory to the present, from the outer space of the cosmos to the inner space of the self. Ecology of Souls, volumes 1 and 2, now available from Amazon in print and as a combined ebook. Welcome to the Ecology of Souls.
2: Strange Familiars is a production of Dark Holler Arts, music, books, art, podcasts, and more. Intro and background music is by Stonebreath. If you want to hear more or purchase music, you can go to stonebreath.bandcamp.com. Strange Familiars is on Facebook, facebook.com slash strangefamiliars, where you can join the Strange Familiars gathering group. We're on Instagram, at strangefamiliars, one word, and you can find us on the web at strangefamiliars.com.
8: Your voice